Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna me for my ambition. Welcome on into episode 118. It's over. The regular season is over, and we are finally here to recap the regular season. It's it's crazy, people. We we are episode 118 here on the Hoopers Log. My name is Simo Buckets through CLNS Radio in the Seat Geek Studios. The phone number is 323-642-1558 is the number. And if you'd like to call in and talk about the season and what just happened throughout the regular season, which, to be honest, the way it ended – one of the craziest endings we have, we'll talk about that in a moment. What we're going to do today is we're not going to talk about the playoffs. We're not going to give any of our playoff predictions. Today is strictly recapping what happened throughout the season. This is a, going to be a very long episode for those of you, so buckle it up. We're going to answer all the questions we gave up before this. We, talk, we asked before the season and all of our previews. We'll fly through each uh, division. There are six divisions in basketball, obviously two conferences, three in each conference, and we'll answer questions that we asked before the year that have been answered so far in this season. I'm pretty sure 95% of the questions have been answered this for this season. Obviously, as many of the teams still have to go to the postseason, obviously 16 teams in the postseason. Now everything is solidified as far as the regular season. And we will get to that as far as soon as we can. Again, if you'd like to call into the phone number, the phone number is three, two, three, six, four, two, one, five, five, eight. Uh, Andrew Norris, is, I don't see where he's at. I know Jonathan Wagner's on the line. We'll get him on in just a moment. We're going to talk about what happened last night. Obviously, Kobe Bryant went absolutely bonkers, bananas crazy last night. 60 points in his final game of his career. I mean, you talk about six. Think about that. Imagine finishing out your, exactly. Imagine finishing out your final day at work, and you had the perfect day. If you're like a salesperson, and it was your last day at work, and you pulled out one of the best sales marketing moves where you, you pulled in some of the best money you've ever pulled ever, and your boss is probably coming back saying, you, you, ain't, you ain't leaving. Like, you know that, right? Like, you ain't leaving. That's pretty much what Kobe Bryant did today, or last night, I should say, for his final, uh, you know, his final curtain call of his career. 60 points, four rebounds, four assists, a 72 on the whiteboard performance scale. By the way, tomorrow we will give out our top 10 performances of the year. In the NBA, whiteboard, the performance style, we'll give them to you tomorrow. I have the top ten. I just have to put them in order, and I have to talk about them, obviously, and give them to you. That will be tomorrow on Friday. So expect that one, obviously, is tomorrow. We also will talk about the postseason and our predictions, give our playoff predictions for Friday, and we'll give all of our award predictions and everything for all that today. Today is really just recapping the season and going in-depth on what happened and getting into that information. Episode 118 here, Jonathan Wagner 
how was your night last night, bud, as you sat down and watched the finale of the regular season? Oh, it was great, man. It was a great night for the NBA. I mean, you know, the only thing I'd say, and I, we were talking about it on yesterday's show before the games, uh, would have been nice to be able to see each game maybe as a double header, or if they could have, I know they can't do that really with TV with the West Coast and everything, but they could have just staggered it maybe by like an hour, so maybe you could, you know, see Kobe for an hour and then the other game kicks in. Uh, because by the time we got to the fourth quarter, and you pretty much knew that was going to happen anyway, there wasn't really much to watch with the Warriors anyway in the fourth quarter. You knew they were going to get it done. Uh, Curry had already put up uh, his records. He got over the 400 mark for threes. Warriors got their 73rd win. But, uh, but yeah, um, you know, leave it to Kobe uh, to upstage that, right? You know, it's never been done before. Uh, record set for threes last year. Broke his own record, uh, Curry, with you know, 286 last year. This year he just shatters that with 402. Almost got the eight that he needed in the first quarter going in, which is amazing enough. But for him to do that, he also ended up uh, first player uh, since Jordan 24 years ago to uh, not only make the 50-40-90 uh, club, actually – uh, third player, he became the third player to make the 50-45-90 uh, club, along with actually his coach Steve Kerr and along with uh, Steve Nash. So, but uh, but the first player since Jordan to average 30 points in a season, he needed 41 to do that. He got a little past that to average 30 in a season while uh, while shooting at least 50%. So the last guy to do that was Jordan 24 years ago. So a whole lot to talk about with the Warriors with all that, 73 wins, all the stuff that Curry accomplished uh, record-wise. But leave it to a guy like Kobe to upstage all that. Um, now, let's be honest here. He did take 50 shots. He missed 28. But the, the ending of time. that was just unbelievable. I mean, to make his last five shots of his career and to put the team on his back, you know, they're, they're yeah. down 10. They finish on a 17-2 run to win. He scores 15 of those 17. To me, that was the remarkable part. The 60 points. Yes. Everyone's making a big deal about that. Yeah, it was great, but when you take 50 shots, you kind of should score 60 points because nobody takes 50 yeah, yeah, shots. Yeah. To me, the amazing thing was a guy that's 20 years into his career that's on, uh, on his way out retiring, even Jordan scored 15 in his last game. Uh, for a guy like that who's only supposed to just kind of soak it all in and, and, and you know, just kind of ride off into the sunset in a quiet way, you know, because see, that's, that's why he is retiring because his career is over. To me, that's the amazing thing is to not do that and to actually carry your team on your back and to get a win. And uh, this is what I was saying in the, in the show last night. Only two guys we've ever seen that have that competitive drive the, at that type of level. We've seen a lot of competitive guys, but then Jordan and Kobe just had it at a, a different level than anybody else has ever had it in, in any level of basketball, I think. And, and you saw it again last night. You know, it wasn't so much about scoring 60 points or putting on a show – Kobe, I think, took it as, you know what, I want to go out a winner. I don't want to lose my last game, and I'm going to do whatever I need to do. Yeah, I went 22 for 45 to start, but I'm going to make my last five shots in my career because that's what my team needs, and I don't want to lose this last game. You know, and, and I think that mattered to him. I think you just saw that competitive drive again uh, right up to the very end, and that's the amazing thing with, with Jordan, with Kobe, just that competitiveness right to the very end last night was, was the amazing thing. So for me – yeah, 60 points on 50 shots. I mean, to me, you kind of should do that when you take that many. But when right. you carry a team like that on your back and, and just take them to the finish line and win it, when really, you you know, you shouldn't even be doing that at that point, 
uh, to me, that's the amazing thing, and, and, and that was fun to watch. To me, that was the most fun part of the game, which is those last few minutes and that final run, where, which was really just all Kobe. And truly, it was one of the most historical performances we've ever seen in NBA history, and there's no debate that it's the greatest way to go out in a career, I think, ever in sports history, just period. Uh, I, I can't think of a better way to exit your career than the way Kobe Bryant, outside of winning a championship, obviously, but that's more of a team thing. When it comes to the individual performance, I can't think of a better individual performance to end your career on. Obviously, the best way to finish your career is a championship, but if there's a next level, Kobe Bryant did that. I mean, outside of John Elway, outside of Peyton Manning, outside of, uh, you know, uh, other, you know, obviously if MJ didn't come back, if MJ didn't come back to the Wizards and would have retired a bowl in his sixth championship, that would have been, that would have been the greatest way to finish out a career, but unfortunately he came back and played for the Wizards. Um, but outside of that, I mean, outside of winning a championship, what Kobe Bryant did is the second greatest way to finish out a career, and that's to absolutely and, – and again, it's not just the 60 points as you mentioned. It's the way the game finished. And people can say all they want about how the Lakers and the, and the Jazz, realistically, and I, and I don't want to put a damper on – any kind of damper on Kobe Bryant's career, but it, it just has to be said. If the Rockets would have lost that game against the Kings earlier, which we know would not, was not going to happen, especially with the Kings not having anything to play for and the Rockets needing to win to get in, if the Rockets somehow lost that game to the Kings – uh, the, the, the Jazz would have absolutely shut down that ball game and Kobe Bryant would have been triple teamed and they would have let everyone else try to beat them. That's what would have happened. And I think Kobe Bryant would have scored less points. But it still doesn't take away from the from the greatness of the ball game itself. Kobe Bryant and it was look, Kobe had about forty forty some point thirty five, forty points. He was racking up the points. But I can guarantee you if the Jazz needed to get that victory, they would have shut him down and he would probably have scored forty five. But the, the, the Jazz would have won that game on defense and, and, and played with much more effort than they did. But Kobe Bryant, you have to give him the credit from this perspective. Look, as much as the Jazz probably didn't have the effort and intensity as they would have had if the, if the, if the Rockets would have lost their game earlier, uh, the Lakers, Kobe Bryant was making some incredible shots. Look, you can say all you want about maybe the lack of defense, like I just said, but, but Kobe Bryant, you have to give him praise on the fact that some of his shots and some of his plays late in the ballgame, they weren't just step-back threes. There were some fadeaways. There were some patented old-school Kobe moves we've seen, maybe with not, not as much explosiveness, but when it comes to the ability to outsource his game in every facet, you saw it on display last night. You saw every single, every single trick in the bag that Kobe Bryant had. And unfortunately, he didn't have some of his tricks he couldn't provide because he's just too old. Every single finesse move that he had, he showed it on display. The, the, the baseline fadeaway jumper. The 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 um the getting to you notice this multiple times late in the ball game the the attempt to try and get to the elbow and shoot that fadeaway elbow jumper that's patented that we've seen him win multiple games in his career on uh you know the mid range game of of the fadeaway mid range game the uh the ability to drive the hoop and and get past the final defender the guy at the lane, at the rack who is who's the, the the shot blocker that Hubie Brown brought up multiple times in the game you saw Kobe's attempt to get past the, the defenders and then the final stand of that guy at the rim he still found a way to make a move at 37 years old with the you know basically a 75 year old basketball in basketball years making the moves he did to get past his his first defender then get to the final defender at the rack and still find ways to score you got to give Kobe Bryant the praise on that perspective. And 60 points, yes, was amazing. But as you mentioned, 
five of five in the final five, six minutes of the ball game, and really closing out the ball game on his own. Again, the Jazz and, and, and the whole circumstantial of this thing, yeah, maybe they let up, but for Kobe to do it and for, them, for him to at least get it done with, with somewhat of somewhat of some defense, they weren't just like not playing defense on him. They definitely weren't playing the hardest defense, but they were still playing like it was a regular game, like a regular season game. And Kobe just absolutely had, like you said, you know, outside of MJ and maybe some other player out there, one of the greatest competitive fires we've ever seen. And it was on full display in the finale of his career last night. And there's really no other way to put it other than to say, you know, putting a bow on it and, eating ice cream at the end of the ball game, you know, when it comes to his ability to play, that, that was Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant got it done. Again, the Lakers for their season altogether, obviously a whole separate story, 17 and 65 of an atrocious season by the, by the, by the organization. But for Kobe to finish out in his final game, really, I think is all worth it. And, and obviously the speech at the end and the, and, and, the, and the, all the, all the accolades he deserved, unbelievable night in LA. And, and to be honest, it was one of the greatest nights we've ever seen in NBA history, uh, from the standpoint of Kobe Bryant alone, even if he didn't have the Warriors' 73rd victory of the season, let's say the Warriors finished short, it still would have been incredible with what Kobe did. And I, I really honestly, and I knew this was going to happen, I, I didn't feel like I, – I, I w- I'm not going to sit here and tell you I thought the Warriors would blow out the Grizzlies. I, I knew they'd beat them. I feel like I, I felt like they would beat them, especially when they were up 20 or 30 in the second quarter. That's when you knew it was pretty much wrapped up and done. I stopped watching after that. I stopped caring. I stopped watching it. And it was funny. And I don't know if you felt this way, Jonathan, but I don't know of another night in the NBA where you saw two separate eras of basketball fans getting into it on social media. And also with watching it with the eye test, I was watching the Laker game and I was like, I feel like I'm in my teens right now watching this game. And then as I flipped over to the Warrior game, I felt like I was 25, like I am, I'm 25. And I felt like I was looking like at this game like it was modern day. I was watching the Laker game like I was younger, and I was watching the Warrior game like it was modern day. It was so bizarre because the crowd and the energy in the Laker arena was so old school and, 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 and just the way that the Laker fans usually are and, and crazy and, and into the game, you know, kind of like, kinda like the, the New York and, and, and Madison Square Garden when fans just totally get into it and it is intense. That's how it felt watching that Laker game. We're watching the Warrior game. Fans were into it and fans were excited, but it felt more of a, you know, modern day – 2010 uh, generation type crowd where everyone's excited and happy, but more on a happy-go-lucky excited. This was an intense, you know, in into the ball game like it was a playoff type atmosphere type intense, angry feeling crowd which was excited, intense, angry with the Lakers game. But when you watch the Warrior game, it was like okay, another day at the park, you know, we're running through the tulips, fun type atmosphere, everyone's having fun, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's modern day. And then you go back to Laker game and it feels like the mid-2000s, the, the, you know, the street ball mentality, the street ball off the court mentality. I just felt like that watching that game. And I don't know if you felt the same way, uh, felt the same way, Jonathan, but it totally felt like two different eras were on display. And it was the best way to do so for the finale of the NBA in 2015, 2016. Did you feel that way watching these games, Jonathan? Yeah, it's funny you bring up the social media because I was actually just looking at uh, NBA.com uh, while we were before the show, and uh, I'm just checking it out now again. The mentions per hour 
uh, on Kobe Bryant are 60,631 right now. So obviously people still yeah. buzzing about it, still talking about it. Um, just as a comparison, LeBron James is getting 1,788 mentions an hour right now. Angela Russell, 2,277. So, so Kobe, over 60,000 mentions an hour uh, over that. And, and the votes are in here, too. I, I, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with it to this extent, but uh, you know, a lot of almost around the same amount of votes, almost 60,000 votes, and uh, uh, Kobe scoring 60. As far as the, the question, it was which season finale feat was more impressive? Uh, they have 43,000 uh, for Kobe scoring 60, only 16,000 for the Warriors getting win number 73, which, you know, obviously for something that's never been done before. Completely, right. like I said, you know, leave it to Kobe to to, to upstage uh, something that big because it, it was a big night for the Warriors with everything that happened with them. Uh, but but you know uh, you know I, it kind of it kind of I don't know if you read it this way, but you know for everyone that says they love team ball, and, and I think most of us do, and we like to see great team ball. You know, it's what the Spurs have been so great at for so long, and, and now the Warriors more recently here in, in more recent years. Uh, but, but for everyone that says they love that, um, I hero ball won out last night. If you go by those numbers, uh, obviously that was Co- that was Kobe winning that game all by himself last night. Now I know a lot of it obviously has to do with it being his last game. Those numbers probably wouldn't be that way if it wasn't his career-ending uh, game. So if, if this was just another night and he put up 60, I'm sure the numbers would be a lot more even, maybe even slanted toward the Warriors' uh, uh, favor on that one. But uh, it, it kind of says, if you go by those numbers, at least you know, just on the surface, as much as people say they love team ball, I think you know maybe they they, they still like, rather see hero ball because if you go by that, Kobe scoring 60 with that vote, and that's it's a pretty large sample, 60,000 votes, um, completely uh, outshine the, the Warriors uh, winning number 73. But but yeah, I mean, I guess I you know I, I felt kind of the same way. You know, the, I think. The Warriors crowd, it was more like a party atmosphere, and I think that, I think they knew, even from the first quarter, when, when Curry's knocking down six threes, and they have a pretty sizable lead in the first quarter, and you, you pretty much knew they were going to coast. They beat Memphis by 50 the last time Memphis was there, even though just a few days ago they had a struggle to beat them on the road by just one. Uh, and being at home, you, you just kind of had a sense, especially with that way that first quarter went. Uh, it wasn't going to be Memphis's night. You kind of knew that early. And this is kind of a party, party atmosphere the rest of the night, so you didn't get that kind of intensity. It was more like, you know, just a celebration among the Warriors fans, and you had that kind of feeling. Whereas, whereas yeah, maybe the other one was more of, a, you could say, like a playoff atmosphere, even though obviously, you know, Lakers with 17 wins weren't going anywhere, and, and Utah was, was playing out the string as well with Houston winning. And just on a side note, that that was a complete disgrace that Sacramento did not play some key players, didn't even show yes. up. They have a chance to yes. play a spoiler, and to do that, to just rest people and just not even show up and not even give an effort. And, I mean, I don't know what you can do about that. You, if, you're, if you're Adam Silver, you can't force – teams to play players I guess but I'm not I don't really know the answer to that but to me that's just a disgrace I mean it's something that wouldn't have happened in the past but we'll we'll leave that for <laughs> for a little later if you want to talk about it we can but uh sure. hey, obviously I have my ideas about, about that now. but yeah but but, but, but I think you know just to get quick. back to that I think it was I agree with you like it was more of like that kind of playoff even though, even though neither team was making the playoffs yeah I think just because of what Kobe was doing it kind of had that feel to it a little bit more well, it's one of those things. I mean, you mentioned it, and, 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 and again, I know this was back in the David Stern days, you know, about three, four years ago, 
But, I mean, hey, if you really want to prevent these teams from resting their players down the stretch when it's not necessary, find them. Do it. Get some free cash. Look, look, and I, and, I, and I say this all as a Spurs fan. I don't say this to be objective at all. I'm saying this as a homer. Look, back in what, 20, oh, man, what was it, 20, 2003, uh, 2012, I believe, the Spurs arrested all their guys when they went to Miami or whatever, and, and the Spurs nearly won that game, people forget. And David Stern had a little, you know, had an agenda, which he most, most of the time does. You know, out here in the Pacific Northwest, no one likes David Stern. I don't care what you say. Everyone hates him out here because of the whole Sonic debacle and the litany there. But back to the point, you, you find the teams. Maybe not 25, uh, maybe not, maybe not a, a quarter mil like they did to the Spurs, but you find teams. You do because that is a disgrace. That is, that is, that is poking fun at the integrity of the league when a, a Rockets team was up by at one point almost 50 points. And they were dominating this team all the way through. And like you said, resting all their key players and no one really showing up to really care when you're in the middle of a playoff hunt down the stretch to decide who's going to get that eighth spot. And one team, all they got to do is play basically a JV squad to get in. That's a joke. And it's, yeah, it's but, not that it's fair here, or whatever. But here's the it, thing, Chris, though. Like, I, I mean, it, I, I understand what you're saying, but if, if you're going to find like what – so if you don't want to play – if a team doesn't want to play the Marcus Cousins last night or, or Ray John Rondo, yeah, and what's what's to keep them from saying, oh, you know what, he just developed back soreness today. Uh, he can't play. We don't want to risk it. You know, I mean, he could be perfectly fine, but what's to keep a team from saying that just to keep him out? You know, it's almost the opposite of what Bill Belichick does with the Patriots. You know, even when he knows Tom Brady's going to play, he'll play. You know, just play games uh, for showmanship or whatever, just so the other team doesn't know what to prepare for. Maybe even though they know full well he's going to play, they'll they'll put him on the injury list every week. You know, just about yeah. just to say, you know, it's just to put things in the, in the opponent's head a little bit. And 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 you know, they, and this is almost the exact opposite of that. If you don't want to play somebody, you could just say, well, you know what, um, yeah, he tweaked his ankle in practice, got a little back soreness, you know, we're going to keep him out. I don't know if you're Adam Silver, what can you really do about that? Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, and you can say all that and everything, but when Greg Popovich rested his players, I mean, honestly, I think, honestly, and, and it's funny because you mentioned that and how what can he really do. Well, I think David Stern kind of screwed himself over when he, when he, uh, when he, when he, when he, when he did what he did over the Spurs because he fined them so heavily. Obviously, I, I clearly feel like it was an agenda planned. But the point is, is look, uh, a lot of these players were out due to rest. I saw in my updates, I get updates on my phone every day, and a lot of key players were out due to rest. And what bothers me is, like, if you're going to be out due to rest to go to the postseason, that's fine. That's different. That's Look, if the Rockets were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers in the final game of the season, uh, you can't blame the Cavs for resting their players. That is a whole separate circumstance <clears throat> but if you're gonna like you said have the kings and have their guys out due to that kind of stuff and, and, and you know they're gonna just rest their players because no one really cares well again that's i feel like there should be clauses and contracts or something where you have to play at least the final three days of the season at least the, there's got to be something and i know you i, I know you got it's, it's all apples and oranges of figuring out who should be playing and who shouldn't be but i feel like like you said it is a disgrace to the league to see a team like the Rockets, 116-81 to 81 over the Kings, by the way, yeah. only scoring 17 points in the fourth. I mean, they, you talk about really truthfully not caring. And speaking of absolute choking in, in a game and really not caring, well, I, I wouldn't say not caring, but really showing a lack of empathy, look at the Miami Heat in the third quarter last night. I mean, unless it's really the Boston Celtics, uh, you know, unless it's really the Boston Celtics, 
you know, defensive intensity that brought him back. The Heat were up by 20 at one point in that game. I turned the game off yeah. to go get gas in my car. I got I got back in my car and came back home, <laughs> and it was and they were up by three. I was like, what? Hold on. Yeah, franchise low five points. I scored 25 to five in the third quarter. And then and then the Celtics blew them out in the fourth quarter, 35 to 21. They outscored them. They outscored them darn near 60 to 26 in the second half. I mean, that is that is a choke job at its finest. And to see that, it's like, man, come on. And, and so how can you really say, you know, like you said, with the whole Kings thing and all that. And, again, these are two teams, the Heat and Celtics, fighting for playoff positioning, which, I mean, at the end of the day didn't really change much, but it still changed something a little bit in the in discussion of things. But that's what happened there. Raptors beat the Nets 103-96. Hornets beat the Magic 117-103. Pistons beat the Cavs in overtime. No one cares. No one really played. Jordan McRae, though, he had a pretty good game. 36 points, four rebounds, seven assists with no one else playing for Cleveland. He doesn't, have his, he doesn't, he doesn't even have his face pictured for Cleveland. That's how often he played this year. Uh, the Wizards beat the Hawks 109-98. to uh, Again, no one really cared there in that one. Uh, Bulls 76. 76ers 10-72. and One of the worst teams <laughs> we've ever seen in NBA history. One of the worst teams we've ever seen in NBA history. And uh, it, it's funny. Well, we'll talk about that more later on as we answer questions here throughout the rest of the show. Questions we asked back in October before the season began. Spurs finish out the season 67-15. and 15. Interestingly enough, I've been having debates on Twitter with people about how Kawhi Leonard is, should be a second-team All-NBA as a small forward. People are freaking out about me thinking that Kevin Durant is less talented. Look, people, to give you some clarification, if the San Antonio Spurs, if this was a if this was a normal year in the NBA where you didn't have a 73 win ball ball club, <laughs> and the, and the Warriors were you know 68 and, and and 14 or 65 and 17, which is still fantastic, and the Spurs finished where they finished, you might be hearing Kawhi Leonard's name as an MVP candidate, and that's not over the top exaggeration. Look, seven, 67 and 15. Everyone forgets last year. That's what the Golden State Warriors did last year. And, and people were saying, oh, Steph Curry's MVP. And I know we had James Harden and, and uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Steph Curry. And I believe there's one more name in there. I think Anthony Davis got a sniff at the – or LeBron James, excuse me. Uh, those four guys were all in the debate. But obviously Steph Curry and the, and the team that they – and the way he played last year was incredible. Obviously this year he's probably going to win it because everyone thinks that he's the best player on their team. When he is, but from the standpoint of – you know, how the team works, Draymond Green. We'll we talk about that later. But but 67 and 15, you know, Kawhi Leonard, again, he's, he, and he, and he, he didn't really play in this game very much. And he, no one really played last night except for Kobe and, and the Thunder. Uh, excuse me, not Thunder. Uh, Kobe and the, uh, and the Warriors. But, uh, but, but the San Antonio Spurs get their 67th victory of the season. And, I, and I'm telling you this, and, uh, I'm telling you this, Jonathan, I honestly think that this is the quietest 67-win team in NBA history. Yeah. I don't think – Yeah, you might I, be right about that, look, yeah. I think we're going to look back on this team 20 years from now, and kids and the next generation of basketball fans and people who watch sports and follow sports, they're going to look back at this year, and they're going to be like, damn, look at the Warriors, 73-9. and And then they're going to be like – Holy crap! The Spurs were sixty-seven and fifteen. Oh my god! Oh my god! Like back in the history of the annals of sports, like teams that won sixty-five plus games were seen as the greatest teams ever, and the Spurs were that forty and one at home. They tied the greatest record of all time at home of the eighty-six Celtics. Look, that's that is no like joke. But people won't ever. People of this generation won't remember that. People will look back and be like, ah, oh, you know, the Spurs, what did they do back then? And, pe- and pe- Spurs fans and people who, like us, Jonathan, who sit back and will be like, oh, 67 and 15, are you serious? That is an insanely good basketball team. And we'll talk more about the playoff scenarios, obviously, tomorrow and things of that nature. And 
we'll get into more discussion about that tomorrow and obviously have our predictions, but Again, finishing out 96-91 over the Mavericks. 96-91 was a victory. 67-15 and 15 there. Unbelievable stuff there. Mavericks are now the sixth seed in the Western Conference, obviously because of the Memphis Grizzlies loss to the Warriors last night, 125-104. to Timberwolves win 144-109 to over the Pelicans. Pacers beat the Bucks some 97-92. A lot of games that weren't pointless to talk about. Lakers beat the Jazz, obviously 101-96. Kobe with a 60. And then the Suns, 114-105 over the Clippers. Clippers have finished with 53 wins on the season. And the Trailblazers finished with 44 victories, 107-99. to uh, Look, and we'll talk about it more – actually, we will talk about it today on the show. Trailblazers, 44 victories. I think this is the most incredible coaching job. I've Honestly, and people talk about the Warriors and Spurs and obviously Kobe from last night. What the Trailblazers did this season, only finishing seven games back of what they did a year ago, losing four of their five starters. And, and seeing Damian Lillard improve, and obvi- not improve, but really carry this team, and seeing C.J. McCollum really come out of nowhere, and I think he's going to take that most improved player of the year award, and it shouldn't even be close. And I think uh, Terry, Stouts, <coughs> excuse me, Terry Stotts is going to win coach of the year. If he doesn't, I don't know how he doesn't. Seven victories short of what they did a year ago. And they finished with 44 victories, and they finished fifth in the Western Conference. Outside, look. I don't care what you say. Outside of the top four teams, who, which we all knew coming into the season were going to be the top four teams going forward from basically November on through with the Warriors, Spurs, Clippers, and, uh, and Thunder throughout the year. I mean, if you would have told me the Trailblazers would be the fifth team in the, in the Western Conference, because I think we all thought the Houston Rockets were going to be much better than they were with the talent that's on that team. If you would have said the Trailblazers would be the fifth team in the Western Conference, I think people would have looked at you and said, "There's a crazy, there's a crazy hospital down the build, down the road. Uh, you take a left, take a right, uh, get some, get some uh, ginger ale on the way, and uh, you're going to stay there for about three years because you're not going anywhere." Uh, and the Trailblazers finished 44 and 38. Think about this: they lost Lamarcus Aldridge, who is now a part of a 67-win ball club in San Antonio. Or uh, think about that: 67 wins improved by a massive amount. Um, Nicholas Batum, who you can make the case really helped that, that Charlotte ball club, get them to the postseason this year. Really? He was a major influence on that. Obviously Kimball Walker improved a lot, but Nicholas Batum was a major factor at when Al Jefferson went down. Um, then they lost, uh, Robin Lopez, which as you know, out there in New York, in the New York area, Jonathan, he was a true factor on this team this year who won 30-plus games and improved immensely again with Kristaps Porzingis and Robin Lopez. One of the, you could make the case, one of the more formidable front courts in, in the NBA that's, that's growing with time. And Robin Lopez stepped up and played a huge role for that team as a big man this year. He had multiple games of 15-plus rebounds and scored 20 points in the process. He really improved his game this year as an offensive and defensive threat for the, for the, for the, New, York, uh, uh, for the New York Knicks. And they improved tenfold this season. They doubled their win total from a year ago uh, pretty much. And that was uh, to the help of Robin Lopez. And then the other guy they lost, Wes Matthews, unfortunately was hurt coming into the season. He went to Dallas. And he helped them get into the, get at least a, at least a shot at the postseason, and they finished sixth in the in the Western Conference. For this team, the Portland Trailblazers out here in the Pacific Northwest to finish with 44 victories and finish above a team in the Mavericks who had Wes Matthews who was on the team a year ago. Above them, two games better uh, to finish. You know, fifth where you know obviously the Spurs were going to do what they're going to do and did what they did. 
And then to also, you know, Robin Lopez and Nicholas Batum, them helping out their squads and still only finish seven games short with one guy on their starting rotation to come back. And Terry Stotts kept it together. That, that right there, that whole explanation of what I just gave you is reason alone to give him coach of the year. And it shouldn't even be close. What's your take on this Blazer team this year, uh, Jonathan, as we move forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I actually wrote an article about it after uh, after the, the Blazers played the, the Knicks at the Garden this year, um, and, and he actually, actually I compared the two uh, about you know saying where each should be because a lot of people thought the Blazers this year were going to be right around where the Knicks were, about thirty-two and fifty. And uh, uh, um, yeah, I had twenty-five wins, but yeah, yeah, if, if maybe that was even on the high end. And I, and I actually wrote that the Knicks, the, the title of the article is actually that the Knicks were blazing the wrong trail to a rebuild. <laughs> because if you look at where they are, uh, they're obviously uh, have a, a lot. There's another one I just wrote a few days ago that they, they have a lot more questions than, than answers here. You know, uh, after yeah. year two of, of the Jackson here, but but the, but the Blazers in comparison. Uh, total opposite end of the spectrum because, and I pointed to it in that article back then, you know, they lost six of their top set uh, uh, scores from last year. And, and obviously, like you said, yeah. one of them was Robin Lopez, who who in New York has just been the, the consummate professional. He was the one guy that you could rely on that, you know, night in, night out, uh, would 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 take every game seriously and and try and hold other guys accountable and you know the Knicks needed that they need more of that uh, and he you know that was a big loss for for Portland as well as all the other losses he said obviously the Marcus Aldridge is the biggest loss but um, you know Damian Damian Lillard just was unbelievable this year and and 31 games into the season uh, they were exactly what you thought they'd be they were 11 and 20 <laughs> and you know and and nobody yeah. really was talking about Portland at all and that's that's a sizable chunk of the season you know we're, we're not talking about 10 games we're talking about 31 games in and they're 11 and 20 and they're struggling and uh and they just you know they just caught fire they just started to turn it around you know they got they got uh three wins in a row after that they then lost four out of five and and they're including a loss at, uh, against golden state at home and they were only 15 and 24 and then they just started to catch fire. Like you said, a great job by Terry Stotts, coaching this team. A, a fantastic job. And this, this is a guy I point to all the time uh, as a GM and, and the type of thing that Dolan should have done here in New York. A guy like Neil Olshey, who who knows his stuff very well, who's experienced, who's, who's done the job before, not just going after the big name, the big splash like Phil Jackson, who – yeah, he's a was a brilliant coach, maybe the best we've ever seen, uh, with his eleven rings, you know, unmatched. But it's one thing to coach great talent; it's a whole other thing to try and acquire it. And he's finding out how difficult that is uh, as a as a GM. And you know, he's struggling right now and trying to put together a, a winning team in New York here. Um, and on the flip side, you know. It, Instead of going after the big name like that here in New York, a guy like like Olshi, who's done an incredible job with Portland, it, it's all just come together for them. I mean, to lose what they lose, like we were saying, six of their top seven scorers from last year, key guys like guy like Aldridge, who's just you know a perennial All Star now, uh, one of the one of the top forwards in the league. You lose talent like that, and just to have a guy like Damian Lillard you know, step it up and, and the other pieces that all she was able to put around him in after losing what he lost on that roster. And then for Stotts to step in and, and turn this team around from such a bad start, 
I mean, 11 and 20, 44 and 38. So what is that? 33 and 18 they finished, I guess, or uh, my math might be wrong a little bit on that. But yeah, you, we I, I think that's yeah. about right. Uh, yeah, I think that's about right. Were they nine under? They finished six over. So like, yeah, so somewhere around that 33 and 18 finish after 11 and 20 start. I mean, that that's all on, on the on the players. It's on it's on the coach, and it, and it's on Olshi for putting that team together and having the foresight to to field the team that could be the five seed. Uh, in the Western Conference, it might even be a surprise to him. I don't know that he expected that that kind of effort this year from his team, but you know he believed in in his plan and was able to turn it around extremely quickly. To do that in one season, uh, to 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 take a team that was a over 51 team last year, and and to fall like you said just a few games short of that with 44 wins this year after all that they lost. Um, and to turn it around within the season after bad start to now the five seed. And, and they have a legitimate chance, too, to make the next round. I, I think the Clippers will win yes. that series, but that that's going to be a fun series because that might be the most interesting series to watch in the first round because there's supposedly a lot of bad blood between those two teams. Uh, mm. And so that's going to ratchet the intensity up even more and usually get that in a 4-5 matchup anyway. And you know Portland uh, – at home, is that place is going to be rocking when they play their home games there. So if they could steal one or two in L.A., you know that 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 could be an interesting series to keep an eye on. And I think the Clippers will win it, but but I give Portland a good chance to win that series, and for them to be able to to do what they've done and and have a legitimate chance to get to the second round. Now, obviously, you look who they'd face the Warriors probably in the second round. Right. That would probably be the end right. of it. But to be able to even get there and to to even be talking about now here in mid-April that they have yes. a legitimate chance to get to that second round. It's After crazy. all they've lost is just incredible. They've done a fantastic job, and I, I don't know if he will get coach of the year, but but Stotts probably should uh, when oh, you consider you know what the, what he's done with that team this year. I want you. To, I want to give you even more incredible stats. This is the first year in a long time, but this is the first year they implemented the the uh, the. They don't care about the division winners anymore. So last year was the last right. year that they had the division win. Rule now. If you remember last year, the Dallas Mavericks had 50 victories. They were 50 and 32. Last year, the West was beyond insane crazy. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers this year would not have made the playoffs last year. Oklahoma City had 45 wins. They didn't make it. Obviously, this year a whole different story with Portland getting 44. That's obviously going to happen when you have two teams with 65 plus wins and obviously a 73 win team. That's going to happen. But getting back to what makes it even more incredible. The Blazers last year were the fourth seed in the Western Conference because they won their division. If they didn't have that rule in place with the whole, you know, division winner gets the fourth seed, doesn't matter what their record is, they would have been the sixth seed last year. Behind San Antonio, behind Memphis, behind Clippers, Rockets, and Warriors, obviously Golden State, Houston, Clippers, Portland, it said it would be Clippers, Memphis, San Antonio, then Portland. Portland would have the sixth seed. Now think about that. They would be actually one less seed lower in a crazy Western Conference last year. Then, think about this. In a year where Oklahoma City last year had no Kevin Durant, had really, for as you remember, Jonathan, the first month and a half of that year, they were the, they were the worst team in the NBA because they just strictly had no depth, none at all. They had like eight players playing. They can only suit up eight guys for a month and a half on that team because Russell Westbrook broke his hand, Kevin Durant and his foot problems. Um, we had a whole bunch of issues going on in Oklahoma City. 
The, the, the Portland Trailblazers last year, get this, they're in the same division as Oklahoma City. Get this, this, is, this is the stat I just read upon this. This blows my mind. Last year they finished in the division 11-5, and five, won the division because obviously they, they had the better record. Uh, obviously also won the division because they had the better division record. This year, they didn't win the division. Obviously, Oklahoma City Thunder way better this year. Uh, Golden State is way, way – I mean, not way, way better, but they're, they're six games improved from a year ago. So that's going to counteract the league and have them have less losses and all that kind of stuff. Last year, Portland won 19 games on the road. This year, they won 16. Division-wise, they won 11 games last year. This year, they won 11 games in the division again. 11-5 and five in the division in back-to-back years. When, when the roster drastically changes, as we just mentioned, and the division record stays the same, when the division only got better at the top with Oklahoma City. Because Oklahoma City, as we know, was not the team that they are now. No way. Last year was a complete off year. We all knew it. Russell Westbrook had to go absolutely bet poo insane last year to keep that team alive we all remember that from march all the way through he had to he had to actually play out of his mind and he did and that just still wasn't enough that's how bad the, the thunder were last year and it wasn't their fault and for the portland trailblazers to stay true to who they are and as an organization to keep doing what they're doing only seven games behind same division record obviously a different home record because they have a different team but for them to not drop off really at all and, and what's funny is, is last year they finished out the season. They lost four in a row to finish the season last year. And they would have been better if, if they obviously had done a little bit better than that. And then they lost to the Grizzlies in the first round as a home team. This year, if they win, which we're talking about it right now, is they could have a chance of beating the Clippers in the first round. If they do, you're talking about, at that point, how do you, I mean, obviously the coaching job by Luke Walton and, uh, by Luke Walton and by uh, Steve Kerr, unbelievable. Obviously, Greg Popovich, again, unbelievable. Uh, the best team in the NBA, but from the standpoint of keeping this team afloat with what they did and really blow up the team outside of one guy and Damian Lillard and to believe in that one guy and to really see that this team can go through and do what they've done, it is flat out un- unbelievable what they've done. And I think from that perspective, if you were to, if you were to say that, look, and I don't care what anybody says about this because I, I, I think it's true and I think it's always going to be true. If you took all of Kawhi Leonard's starters away from him, would he finish the season, you know, only seven games back from a year ago? They, remember, the Spurs only won 50 games last year, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, they, won, they won more than that. Uh, but the Spurs, uh, the Spurs a year ago, yes, they won 55 games a year ago. If you, minus, if you think the Spurs would have won 50 games losing, you know, obviously they didn't have LaMarcus Aldridge, but if they would have lost Tim Duncan – uh, you know, Boris Diaw, I believe, was a starter. If they would have lost Danny Green, if they would have lost Tony Parker, do you think Kawhi Leonard could have led his team to that? No. Uh, do you think if you took Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Andrew Bogut, and Harrison Barnes off of Steph Curry's team that they would go, uh, they would win 60 games? Uh, heck no. I mean, did, think about it from that perspective. Because last year they won 67. Obviously they won 73 this year. But if you took those guys off, could they win 60? No. I mean, you, that's – that comes into coaching. That comes into front front office management. It is it is incredible what this Portland organi- Portland organization has done this season to keep themselves in the playoff race and to keep themselves formidable going forward into the postseason. With that being said, the NBA season ended last night. Here is the standings. We have someone on the line from the three one zero three one zero. What would you like to say? How you doing? Hey guys, how's it going? I'm doing good today. I just uh, chimed into the show, so. Uh... 
uh, a Laker fan who's uh, had a tough three years and was actually yeah. somewhat excited to see Kobe head out the door, even though uh, he's probably my favorite player yeah. of all time. It seems to just be time time to go. And I don't think the saying's ever been more true. Just when you think you've let something go, they suck you back in. I mean, that was that was insane. I'm 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 pretty sure you guys have already talked about this because I just tuned in. But yeah. That was, I mean, that was uh, there was no more Kobe Bryant way to go out in the match, shooting 50 plus times, NBA record, somehow, essentially beating a team by by himself. And now, look, I think I'm excited as a Lakers fan for them to actually finally move forward and yes, and yeah. uh, and and actually try and build something here. But that was, I mean. Even as a cynical Laker fan, that was absolutely insane. So I just wanted yeah. to say that super quick. Um, and then I'll dive into your Portland conversation, I guess. is um, I'm a huge Portland fan. I think the argument you're putting forward is a little bit loaded in the sense that, um, sure. you know, it, 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 if, you, if you put Kawhi Leonard and C.J. McCollum on the same team, I think they could possibly achieve something similar to what Portland did. If you put uh, Steph sure. Curry and C.J. McCollum on the same team, I think they could achieve something similar to what Portland did, maybe even a little bit better on both sides. Um, sure. But I do think, that being said, the way Portland has built their team basically around one similar age, uh, a nucleus, signing a bunch of very smart contracts, having a bunch of undervalued players, and it just makes you think, God, how amazing would this team have been if they had uncovered C.J. McCollum? And I guess they probably should have known that he was this good, but if they'd given him this playing time while still having Batum Aldridge on this team, it would have been – I mean, the West, the Western Conference would have been just – the playoffs would have been insane to watch. I do still think it will be entertaining. I mean, Portland Clippers is arguably the only – the only yeah. must-watch series of the first round of the entire NBA NBA playoffs. So I think on one end your argument is is awesome because I think Portland is great, but I do think it's a little loaded in the sense that San sure. Antonio and Golden State do have such inflated win, yes. win totals because they're such great teams. So exactly uh, to pull a bunch of players off those teams, obviously, yeah, then they're not that great. Yeah. Right, and, and well, and, and I was trying to bring up the the argument from a year ago because obviously L, Lamarcus Aldridge was not on that team last year. Uh, if you took the team, and, and the Spurs only won fifty five games last year without Lamarcus Aldridge, and obviously they, I think they added a couple other guys, Boban and all that, you know. But the point is, and he's just a role player. But but the point is, is like, but the point is, is like with the San Antonio Spurs, and if you took all those guys off that were on them a year ago, and then you just had Kawhi and a bunch of uh, role players, if, they, if you would have said they would have won uh, more, uh, 50 games or more, I don't think that would have actually happened because of the standpoint of it would have seen it's been seen like a rebuilding circumstance, and it would have been like, oh, the Spurs are, you know, they're, oh, the Spurs are going to go into kind of a, not a tank mode, but they're going to go into some lulls, and you would have expected that from a Portland team with, <laughs> look, I, I mentioned up the examples, I don't know if you heard them earlier but Batum went to Charlotte they made the postseason he was a big impact on that team Robin Lopez went to New York big impact obviously not a playoff team but a better team LaMarcus Aldridge did nothing doesn't enough doesn't that is enough enough said enough said on that one and then Wes Matthews going to the going to the Mavericks maybe not as big of an impact right. obviously had his struggles but still 
impacted that team enough to keep them as a playoff team. So when you look at it from that perspective and only dropping down seven games with one guy and Damian Lillard still there, and like you said, if C.J. McCollum would have been discovered earlier, at least from the standpoint of playing more minutes, yeah, I agree with you, they would have been a better team. But I think now, and I know Vision's 2020, but I think maybe that team in Portland from, from years past, what they had been building for the last five years, with that team and that nucleus, I just don't think it was working out. But Toom, as we all know, early on in his career, was a very explosive, effective player from an overall perspective. And this year, he looked like the player I think we all expected him to become, which was, you know, a baby, very, very, very poor man's version of LeBron James. A very, 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 very poor. Don't, don't get that mixed up. But when it comes to the way he plays, he shares the ball. He gets his teammates involved. He's fundamental. He can shoot the ball from the outside. He's kind of like that. And for five minutes a game, he can probably look like LeBron if he puts it all together. But outside of that, he's not LeBron. But, but, but he puts it like that. Robin Lopez improved immensely this year. I don't think his role was, was well put together in Portland. And maybe it just didn't work. Maybe the personality just didn't click in Portland. But the talent definitely dissipated. And for them to stay where they're at, look, that is, that is super, super – front office capabilities and, and, a, and a coach in Terry Stotts who didn't go anywhere, which we'll talk about that more tomorrow about the coaching shift in the NBA, which I think is just flat out ridiculous. I mean, you got a guy in Fred Hoiberg who, who couldn't take a Bulls team with all the talent they had. They couldn't even get to the postseason with more talent than the Portland Trailblazers. Think about that. The Bulls only won 40, 41 games this season, and they had more talent than the, than the, uh, than the uh, Portland Trailblazers from this year. They did. Jimmy Butler is a Houston too, probably. in the NBA. Yeah, right. And that's the thing. The Bulls finished 42 and 40, and they were the same team this year. And they even had a healthy Derrick Rose. And they got rid of the coach who was the guy who kept them together. Like, it, it blows my mind, the coaching ideas in this league. And for, and for what the Portland Trailblazers have done, teams like the, teams like the Celtics. Teams like the Hawks, I know a lot of people don't know this and probably don't haven't thought about this, but the Hawks have been to nine straight postseasons. Think about that. That is an insane stat. A team that we wouldn't think that has been to nine straight postseasons, they've done it. And this year, they're doing it again, being a 48-win team, which there are four 48-win teams in the East, by the way. But my point is, is keeping the coach, keeping things involved. The Miami Heat, they could have, they could have easily fired Eric Spolster last season for missing the postseason after – four straight years of going to the NBA final. Look where they're at. Three seed in the Eastern Conference, 48 wins. They're back to where they used to be. It's all because of solidified front office capabilities and sticking to your guns. If you step separate yourself from sticking to your guns and let the players start indicating what they want, you're going to not succeed in this league. In Portland, Boston, Atlanta, Miami, they've all proven that they can stick to their guns and find ways to stay successful no matter who comes in and out of that organization and who's going to impact them or not. Three, uh, what was your name, 310? It's Tom. Tom? I couldn't hey, uh, so agree uh, uh, more with you, by the way. I mean, that's uh, – if you – I mean – what are what are the betting odds you could have gotten if I told you, hey, what are the odds that both the Wizards and Bulls <laughs> miss the Eastern Conference playoffs? I mean, it's stunning uh, that those one, two teams one miss to the one thousand. Seriously, I mean, I, I'm blown away that if you told me one of those teams miss it because of injuries, I say maybe, but sure. it, it blows me away for the, especially, honestly, both. I mean, the Eastern Conference is 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 weak. It's basically, I mean, after the right. after the Cavs, and I'll give you the Raptors, I like the Hawks, 
ish. I don't like to watch them, but I like them as a team. But it's 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 a bunch of non threats. Right. I mean, let's yes. be honest, it's a bunch of non threats. I think Miami could take a couple games off someone. I think the Hawks maybe could take a couple games off someone. I'm not necessarily sold on the Boston Celtics in an actual playoff series myself. They don't have a go to. Um, yeah. And I, but, I think but no, that. But, 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 but when it comes to the East, just real before we talk real quick, I, I think the two teams that stepped up out of their comfort zone this year and, and really put forth a great season was the Charlotte Hornets and the Detroit Pistons. What those two teams did, sure. Detroit at the trade deadline, what Charlotte did in getting better overall as a team down the second half of the season, that's what got them ahead. And the Bulls and Wizards, the Wizards from basically the entire season were a huge letdown. That was a shot like, – I was talking about it halfway through the season. I was like, this Washington Wizards team is the is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, you know, status outside of Houston because Houston was the same way for a while. Houston and Washington were the exact – it's funny because they're both 500. But both teams, I thought, were going to be dominant teams in their respective conferences. And Houston darn near almost didn't make the postseason. Washington didn't. The Bulls now look like they are actually the team that is the most disappointing because of what they did. But at the same time, they don't have they, – they, they, they got rid of a coach because they listened to their players. They said, oh, Tom Thibodeau does this with the defense. Tom Thibodeau – no, 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 no. You got to listen. You got to listen to the coach. You got to listen to what's going on. They got a good thing going. They were a very good team last year. They took the Cleveland Cavaliers to six games. They had a really good series there. And, and for some reason, they just decided to blow it up. That made no sense. Obviously, Jimmy Butler got hurt. That is a big factor in what happened. But you got to give credit to the Pistons and the moves they made. And the Pistons down the road are going to be great. Charlotte, Charlotte's really the only oddball team in this entire postseason race in the Eastern Conference. Like you said, outside of Toronto, outside of Cleveland. Shoot, I think every team outside of Cleveland, because people forget last year, Cleveland, obviously, Atlanta, what they did last year was freakish good in the regular season, 60 wins. No one thought that would happen. They won, they won 34 of 36 games from Thanksgiving all the way to the Super Bowl. They were stupid crazy good for, like, a long stretch of time. And obviously they were just built for the regular season. They got to the Eastern Conference uh, Finals, but no one knew that. No one thought they would ever beat Cleveland. That, everyone knew that. And it's the same way this year. I mean, Indiana's back in the postseason. First time in a couple years. That's going to happen when you lose Paul George from a year ago. It's going to happen, but they're back now. That's, that's kudos to Frank Vogel and that organization for sticking to their guns as well. But Charlotte and Detroit are really the two teams that really – uh, stepped up this season and knocked out the Bulls and Wizards. But again, I agree with you from the standpoint of the Bulls and Wizards being teams that that really are big time uh, are big time disappointments in the Eastern Conference. And building up what you said, by the way, I mean, is there? I don't think there's really a more underrated entity in the NBA than uh, Stan Van Gundy. I mean, the guy gets oh yeah he gets, uh, he gets talked about pretty poorly all the time. But, I mean, you rarely see a success story, especially when you mix the GM and coach job into one. Yes. But, I mean, the guy coached a team probably to a little bit above its head this year, considering that it's still very young, and pulled off probably, in terms of sheer value, flipping Brandon Jennings and Irsan Ilyasova, basically two expiring contracts for a legit asset in uh, Tobias Harris. I mean, even, I'm not really sold on Harris as that great of a player, but you cannot deny sure. a 22-year-old stretch for um, on a Upside. contract that's pretty good, especially moving uh, forward, is a 3 to 5x more valuable asset than what he gave up. So, I mean, yes. the guy consistently does a fantastic job and is really never talked about in a positive light in most, most places. 
Anything you want to say, uh, Jonathan? And I agree. I mean, he's very underrated. I mean, and that team that they're they're built for the future now with Reggie Jackson. You know, Marcus Morris found a home there now, and Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond. You know, in the beginning, he was like a walking twenty twenty in the beginning. You know, in the beginning of the season. Um, obviously finished at 16 and 15 around there this year on uh, on average. So uh, they're they're built for the future. A lot of teams. I mean, I don't. I think in the East, if if you you look at the parity after the top two, I mean, I I can't ever actually remember a year right. where you had four seeds that all had the same record. I mean, you you yeah. look at the, the seeds three through six. They're all 48 and 34. Those are all good records. You know, we're not talking, been that way you know, 43-win teams here, 42-win teams. Those are 48-win teams from three all the way down to six. It's, you know, it's pretty impressive. I don't think we thought that in the East. I, I, I know what Tom's saying, that, that there aren't great threats to Cleveland and Toronto beyond right. those two. And, and, and I kind of expect that, too, is the way the play is going to play out. But if you look at those teams, where they're positioned now and where they're going toward the future, um, with some moves here and there, and as players get more experience, the younger players on those teams, um, the East is going to become strong. You know, we're so used to the West becoming so strong, but the West is kind of top-heavy right now. You know, Obviously, we've talked about Portland Very, they're moving yeah. up, but the bottom of the, the – you know, the West used to be – even down to the sixth or seventh team or eighth team, those teams would challenge in the East, you know, in the playoffs. If you were to take the sixth or seventh, maybe even eighth team, they might do some damage in the Eastern Conference playoffs. You don't get that sense this year that, that Dallas or Memphis or Houston would do that, or, or even Portland as, as great a year as they've had. It's really just the top four, and, and then there's there's kind of a drop-off, you know, aside from Portland, you know, playing over their heads. They're just not in that class as, as the top four yet. Uh, but in the East, I mean – when have we ever seen the four teams like that that all had the same record? I, I think it's kind of impressive and kind of a surprise what the East has done this year. I think we all thought the East was going to be extremely weak, that you know you would have losing yeah. teams maybe getting in in the eighth spot and maybe even the seventh spot. We didn't really see that at all. You know, For Detroit to be in the eighth spot as a 44-win team, when Portland's a 44-win team in the West in the five spot, I don't think we really expected that East versus West this year. So, to me, that's kind of a surprise in terms of the depth of the East. It may, again, like Tom said, it may not be beyond Cleveland and Toronto and ultimately just Cleveland out of the East but for a legitimate chance to come out of there. But but I, I think the depth of the East, though, top to bottom, as far as the eight teams in the playoffs go, is, is kind of a surprise and pretty impressive for what the East has accomplished this year. And the uh, 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 Western Conference moving uh, uh, forward here is going to, I think the bottom of that is going to end up looking a lot like what the Eastern Conference looked like a few years ago. Because you look at, like, the Mavericks are going to fall out. The Grizzlies are going to be terrible. I mean, unless they keep Conley, but they ought or they don't. They're going to be bad next year. The Rockets are like, I don't know. They're my least favorite team to watch in the NBA right now. They're game to game. I have no idea what they are. Uh, The Jazz will probably pass up. But, I mean, you're, you're looking like, other, I think the top four, because I don't think Durant goes anywhere this offseason, and I think the Clippers can maintain for another year. I think the top four sure. are pretty similar. And But even the Trailblazers next year, I mean, like, if you told me that five through eight here in the Western Conference are four brand-new teams next year, it wouldn't I wouldn't be bowled over by that at all. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that statement. Uh, hey, Tom. Uh, anything else you want to say before we uh, before we move forward in the show? Uh, before I put you back on hold? 
No, uh, enjoyed the show. First time caller, so I'll definitely be calling back in. Thanks, guys, for the time. Absolutely. Feel free. We're always here, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern time. I'll put you back on hold. Thank you so much, Tom. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah, man. All right, uh, let's get to this. Let's get to the questions and answers that were before the season. We had questions that we had for each team before the season. We're not going to answer every single one, but we're going to kind of give you an outline of what to look for and what, 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 we, what we came up with during the year. And I'm going to fly through it. We're going to go to the Atlantic Division first, and then we're going to get on. We're, we're, we're going to go into the next division. I had the, in the Toronto Raptors, some of the questions I had was, can their bench hold the weight this year? They did. They've done enough, clearly. The two seed, one game back of Cleveland in the season, they've done enough. That question ultimately still needs to be determined in the postseason. This team got swept in the postseason last year against the Washington Wizards because they were exhausted because their front line was dead tired. Now, if they go into the postseason and their bench can hold their weight, this team could find themselves in the Eastern Conference Final. If not, I honestly would not be shocked if a team like Indiana, who has been to the playoffs in the past, clearly everyone remembers last year they didn't make it because they just weren't good enough, and because of the fact that obviously Paul George was out. But Indiana could beat them, and if they do, it would be because of the lack of bench from Toronto. But for, for the regular season purpose, yes, they held their weight, 56 wins, breaking the franchise record in wins, definitely did that there. Can Damari Carroll fill the void? He got hurt this year. He didn't really need to fill a void, and he's out, I believe, for the rest of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Right, Jonathan? He's out for the whole rest of the year, Damari Carroll? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so since he's out for the year, I mean, filling the void, yes, he definitely helped, but he wasn't as big of an impact as I thought he would be coming into the year. Um, So definitely not there. Uh, Off-season stuff, definitely seven of the 12 guys uh, over the next couple of off-seasons are going to be uh, leaving. This really is their. This really is their time. Like if if there was a time for this team to click, it is now. And being the two seed going into the playoffs, this is the time where they need to at least get to the Eastern Conference Finals and at least challenge the Cleveland Cavaliers. Because if they do, then the potential of keeping these guys going forward is very high. Let's go on to the next team real quick, and then I'll get your take after all these teams. Uh, uh, Jonathan, unless you want to jump in, feel free to always jump in if you want to. Uh, the, the Boston Celtics questions that I had, can they compensate for a lack of superstar? Obviously they did. They won 48 games this season with, with obviously those other four teams, those other three teams that are involved in the East, but they compensated for a lack of superstar. Will it help them in the postseason? I don't think so. I don't think it'll get them through, but overall they showed it this year that Brad Stevens' system is really, really starting to click with the players and they're starting to play really well. And if you want to make the case that Isaiah Thomas is a superstar, he definitely made that jump to a great player, all-star type player, but a superstar, eh, not there yet, not from what I see, but definitely impact and a guy at the end of the game that can help them get through roster has been in flux over the last couple of years but this was the first year since the brad steven era that they really kept everyone together and boy it showed their chemistry is one of the best chemistry laden teams in the nba and it definitely showed over the last couple of years when they had no real chemistry together because they changed everyone all the time kind of like the memphis grizzlies this year this year they kept everyone together and they were outstanding overall with the talent that they have 48 wins was definitely above my expectations for this team this year where can the rookies fit in they really haven't played this year. The rookies really didn't even play this year. Talking from the from experience as a CLNS broadcaster here through Boston programming and doing post-game shows for the Celtics, I never really saw the rookies play this year. I never really saw R.J. Hunter play. I never really saw a couple other players play. This was really a 9-10 man squad all the way through the season and a very deep team as we mentioned that bench 
unbelievable. They never picked up a rental player, so they never got one. So they've stuck with the guns they've had all year. Will that hurt them in the postseason? Maybe, but we'll see going forward. And overall, this team, for what they have, 48 wins, they are at a perfect building block walking into the summer, no matter what happens this postseason, waiting for a guy like Durant, waiting for a guy who has an opportunity to come to that program. And if they do get a guy like Durant or a big or a, a, a different name, not a bigger name, because I don't know if there's any bigger name in the offseason than KD, but if they get a big name in the offseason, this team could really take the giant leap forward. 48 wins with a team they have, unbelievable, great year for them in the regular season. Uh, the other team on the list right here, Brooklyn Nets, Clearly, can the bench provide the boosting? No. Terrible team this year. Small, I said it, I smelled like an explosive team this year. Uh, obviously, Thaddeus Young and, and, and Lopez, or Brooke Lopez, are contracted for the next three years, but everyone else is pretty much gone after this summer and the next summer. So they're going to be rebuilding, and they're going to be changing. Uh, can this team compensate for the lack of guard play? Clearly, they couldn't. Only 21 victories this year. Not good enough. It spurts of good games, but that was mostly because some teams just had off nights and they just looked good. Uh, can they run in transition? No. This team was just bad all year. Honestly, if it wasn't for the Sixers and if it wasn't for the Lakers, this would be the team we'd be talking about being one of the worst teams in the NBA. And the, and the crappy part about it for them is that since they are uh, the third worst team in the NBA, that means the Celtics have the third best chance of getting a top pick in the draft. And who's to say, even if the Celtics don't need a free agent, if they were to get the number one pick, and if they picked up Ben Simmons, you talk about a very scary future for Boston if that were to be the case going forward in the lottery coming up here in about a month. The Knicks, obviously, Jonathan, you know this team. Uh, what I asked the question, what are they doing in New York? Clearly they do know what they're doing because they improved tenfold this season. They won about uh, 14 to 15 more games this season. Definitely improved and did better than my expectations this season and did well. 32 and 50, clearly a great start, but a very poor second half of the season. As you know, Jonathan, a very, very poor second half of the season. But considering what they did at the beginning of the year, Chris Stapps Brzingis will have a summer in his, in, uh, in his belt coming up this offseason. I feel like this team is in a very good place. Uh, will Mello last the season? He did. He lasted the entire season, gratefully enough. And for that, the team actually improved with him overall. Uh, how long will it take to recognize the grade C players or grade C players? In fact, I think some of the grade C players like Galloway, uh, Derek Williams, some of those guys took a step up this year and maybe were C-plus, B-minus type players off the bench. They actually improved quite a bit and proved me wrong from the standpoint of them just being average-grade players. They filled into their roles, and they played pretty well considering considering the lack of talent this team has outside of Carmelo and Porzingis. They really did step up and play a lot better. Will Chris Porzingis actually develop into something productive? Uh, heck yeah, the first two and a half months of the season, he was being debated as being rookie of the year, and it was bar none a definite debate with him and Carl Anthony Towns. If he can play that way the first two and a half months this season – all of next season, this team may jump into that 35-40 win mark. Now, will they do it immediately? No. They obviously have to improve in other areas and get better. But Chris Stapps definitely was great this season as a rookie. Um, and then Chris, Chris, too, the, the, let me, starting I just want to say one thing real quick about, about Przingis. Somebody said today, because they, they asked him, to if uh, how, how would you rate your rookie season and you know, a scale of 1 to 10? He said a six and a half, which is probably undervaluing how he did, you know, c- considering what expectations wow. were for him. Because, you know, everyone thought this was going to be a project that might take a while, and he jumped in right away. As you said, you know, he, he was one of the best rookies, maybe the second best after after Carl Anthony Towns, you know, among rookies sure. in the NBA this year. And uh, to me, that's something, if you're a Knicks fan, 
you love to hear that because he's going to be good because he wants to be good and because he's not yeah. satisfied. If he would have said eight and a half, nine, you know, that, there wouldn't have been anything wrong with that answer. But for him to say six and a half after the year he had, I think is a great thing for Nick fans to hear because it just means that this is only the tip of the iceberg. He's not satisfied. He's going to work really hard to, to get better. He's already talking about not going home to play uh, for Latvia and the Olympics and, and just to stay here in the States and stay in New York and, and work and, and, and already thinking about improving for next year. So this guy, you know, we saw like we talked about with Kobe with that drive, right? I don't know if Porzingis has yeah. that kind of drive because we we're saying only MJ and Kobe has it at that level. But this guy's got a certain drive and a certain maturity about him at such a young age that uh, that's the thing that's going to make him good. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a big uh, help for them moving forward. Obviously, uh, I also asked the question, will the bench outperform the starting lineup this year? I don't really think it mattered. I think overall this team took a big step this season and improving overall and seeing what they have and really getting their feet wet and trying to improve as players. And I think overall they did that. I mean, think about this. If you would have said that the Knicks would have finished one game behind the Milwaukee Bucks in the regular season, I think every Knicks fan would have raised their hand and said, yeah, if you give us, if you give us 30 wins, woo, that's a good year. You know, 14 wins on the road, 18 wins in the Mecca. Look, they were almost 500 at home. That is a much better year than the year before 500 in the division. What else did you want to ask for? There were four teams in the NBA playoffs right now in the, in the Eastern conference playoffs, Indiana, Charlotte, uh, 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 Atlanta and Cleveland all finished eight and eight in their division. Now, granted, their divisions are different, clearly all all off and on. But but if you look at the Knicks, eight and eight in their division, not bad. I mean, really, not a bad team. They could they could contend for a playoffs. Not not next year, but maybe a couple years down the road, they could get into the postseason and be a threat once again if they keep their route going. Obviously, they got rid of Derek Fisher this year. Obviously, they changed it up. But for the whole, they are looking better and they are looking like they're on the right path compared to a year ago. And the final team, obviously, in the Atlantic Division, Philadelphia 76ers at 10-72. and 72. I didn't have any questions for them. I already knew this was going to be a circus. I already knew this was going to be a horrible, horrible season for them. The only thing I said was the goal is 20 wins. Well, they got halfway there to 10, 10-72. Uh, and 72. This is the worst, one of the worst, if not the worst, season in NBA history um, from this team, and uh, that's all I can say about them. Jonathan, anything more about the Atlantic uh, Division? Just on the Sixers there, yeah, I think if one question that would have been interesting in the beginning of the season, which would be the higher number, the number of wins that the Sixers got or the number of pages in Sam Hinkie's res- resignation letter once he stepped down? <laughs> because he, he wrote it, I don't know if you saw it, but he, he wrote a 13-page letter to two people, to the fans mainly and, and to everybody else. And that ended up being three more than the wins that they got. So <laughs> 13 pages written, yeah, 10 right. wins for the Sixers, and that's why he's not there anymore. It's just an absolute dreadful thing there for the Atlantic uh, Division uh, when the bo- the bottom portion of it with the Nets and the 76ers. And fortunately, the Knicks improved, and obviously the Celtics and the Raptors are in the postseason. Uh, Central Division, I had a lot of questions for a lot of teams. We're going to fly through these, obviously. The Cleveland Cavaliers, I had questions. How will the guards help hold up in the first three months of the season? They did. They did it. Uh, everyone did it. They, they're clearly the best team in, in the Eastern Conference, and, and the wins don't really show it. But honestly, if Toronto had a pretty average year, they probably would have won just 50 games. The Cleveland Cavaliers truthfully ran away with this division talent-wise or this conference talent-wise all year long. I mean, really, they were the, the lead go-getters all season long, and, and they proved it. Because the reason why I asked that question is because they have injuries early on. Kyrie Irving 
Yvonne and Shumpert were both out early on in the season. Clearly didn't affect the Cavs as LeBron and everyone else really stepped up their game. They played outstanding uh, in the first three months, and they're still playing great now. Obviously, and LeBron's playing even better. And I asked the question, will LeBron have to play like the NBA Finals, LeBron, to keep them afloat? He doesn't have to, but definitely late in the season, he proved why he's NBA playoff ready. He is playoff ready to get it done, and we saw it late in the year. Can LeBron afford to play less minutes this year? He talked about how – or not he, but they talked about how he's going to try and play 32, 30-something. He still played quite a bit of minutes. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm guaranteeing you he still played quite a bit of minutes this season. Um, I think he's going to be fine overall going into the postseason again. But, again, it's been five straight years he's been to the NBA Finals. It's, he's been – he's gone deep a lot – or six straight years, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's been six, 10 – or 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. No, it's been five. But, anyway, the point is, is a lot of flat finals runs for LeBron. So, he's got to really keep himself healthy if they want to get into the, into the NBA Finals, which I don't think is going to happen. What kind of effect can Contristing Thompson hold out have on the team? Clearly it didn't. The team finished first in the Eastern Conference. Didn't matter. He finally got his money, and that team is 57-25. and 25. The Bulls, I had questions for them. Will this team respond to Fred Hoiberg? Well, clearly they didn't. 42 wins? A team last year that had 50-something wins last year? Nah, they didn't respond to him. Can Rose stay healthy? He did. Derek Rose stayed healthy this season. He, he finally, first full healthy. Now, granted, early on, he, they kind of babied him a little bit, but he played healthy pretty much all through and through the entire 2015-2016 season, the first time he's done that since really the year before he got his knee hurt. I think it was 2011-2012, if I'm not mistaken. First time in a long time, or maybe yeah, maybe 2011-2012. It's been a while since this guy stayed healthy, and finally he did it this season. It didn't necessarily help the team per se because they, you know, Rose and Butler kind of bounced back and forth as the lead guy. But overall, Derrick Rose stayed healthy, and that was what mattered. Where will the offense come from? Um, we said it in the off season. Will Carmelo Anthony go to Chicago? We all know that. I think we all knew that that wasn't going to happen, but the chance of it happening was high early on, considering the the state of the Knicks at the time. Clearly, a, uh, an 18 win ball club, 17 win ball club a year ago, <clears throat> and now you know 32 wins. I think Carmelo's going to stay there, and everything's going to be okay. But the offense clearly wasn't as good, especially once Jimmy Butler went down. And uh, they had Paul Gasol running the show and Derrick Rose running the show. Two guys that are clearly out of their element right now when it comes to their ability to play at the level they used to. Paul Gasol for age reasons and, and Derrick Rose for just flat-out health reasons. Lack of size. Outside of Joe Kim Noah, Paul Gasol, and, you know, they had Bobby Portis and, uh, you know, and Miritic. I mean, they didn't have very tall guys in the paint, which didn't help them this season. Obviously, playing teams like Detroit, playing teams like Indiana with Miles Turner, Charlotte with Al Jefferson and Nicholas Batum. Boston didn't have size problems. Atlanta was smaller, but they're still great. Miami has Chris Bosh, Toronto with Valanciunas, and Cleveland with their extensive size. That impacted Chicago this season. I think it did. Outside of Pau Gasol, they really were a smaller team uh, in the NBA. And can this team win the finals? They're not even in the postseason. Talk about a choke job season for the Chicago Bulls in the 2015-2016 season. That's exactly what happened, especially with, with the lack of response to a guy like uh, Fred Hoiberg going forward. The Indiana Pacers, before the season, I loved this team. Everyone thought it was crazy before the year. I said this team could potentially win 45 games. Bam. They won 45 games during the season. Frank Vogel in his fourth season. Again, stability in the organization. The Indiana Pacers have it. Two years ago, they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, or I believe it was two years ago, if not uh, three years ago, four years ago, when they played the Heat back-to-back years in the NBA uh, Eastern Conference Finals. And uh, they, they got back this year to the postseason, and they played the Toronto Raptors in the first round of the postseason. Once they solidify a, pers- a permanent identity, 
can they do something? Yes, they did. Monte Ellis turned into that score they needed. Uh, uh, George Hill really keeps playing that fundamental point guard position, and Paul George, especially early on in the year, not so much late, but early on in the year, looked like a legitimate MVP candidate, and that's what this team needed to move forward. And on top of it, a guy like Miles Turner truthfully improved this season tenfold from when he began the year all the way to the very end. He might be a guy next year that plays in that rookie sophomore game and might come out and go 20 and 20. I'm telling you, he's crazy. He was, there were some games this year, Miles Turner absolutely went off in the Indiana Pacers when they needed him, and he was a big-time threat for them in some ball games this year as a rookie. Now, clearly he had no chance of winning Rookie of the Year with Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Dasperzingas, and other names, but he definitely kind of threw his name into the hat a little bit a couple times this year to kind of spark some interest of other teams. How far can this team go? I, I'm going to say this right now, people, and I know you're going to think I'm crazy still with this team. But I think they can challenge Toronto to a seven-game series this year. Will they beat Toronto in a series? I, I don't know because, obviously, Toronto has a very good starting, starting lineup, and it is more talented than Indiana's starting lineup. But don't forget, Paul George knows what it takes to get to an Eastern Conference final. And if he can put it all together and he can help this team go somewhere, the, the, really the ceiling's the limit. I mean, will they go to the NBA Finals? No. Um, will they get to the Eastern Conference Finals? I don't think so. But they can upset Toronto in the first round. It can happen, really. If you take away Toronto and – I mean, if you really take away Cleveland, basically outside of Toronto too maybe, Miami, Atlanta, Boston, Charlotte, Indiana, Detroit, Indiana could easily be a four or three seed right now with how they played throughout the season at some point. They could. Every All those teams from eight through three could all be a three or four seed. They all could be. So – Indiana could test Toronto and potentially beat them in the first round. That would be a big win considering the rebuilding job they're doing after getting rid of David West, Lance Stevenson, and a guy like, uh, and a guy like uh, the tall guy who's on the Lakers now, uh, Roy Hibbert. Uh, getting rid of him, you know, changing the way their teams look, they're going to be better and they're going to be fine. They could beat the Raptors still in the postseason. Can Paul George extend his game more? He did. He expanded even more. Paul George got better this year, and, he, and what's most impressive is after the season he lost last year, he came into this year, at least the first two months. After that, he kind of got back to his normal ways. He's still good, but got back to his normal, you know, kind of an average way. But he was an MVP-type player those first two months of the year for this team, and I really think that that really helped this team expand and get better and overall uh, get better as a team. And with that, yes, he did expand his game and got better, which is incredible considering the injury he had in the FIBA World Tournament back in 2014 when he just absolutely shattered his leg, just one of the more gruesome things we've ever seen. And he came back this year and has truthfully proven why he is one of the best players in the NBA at his position. Uh, all the contracts are, 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 are good until 2017, 2018. So this team is going to be here to stay, so they're only going to get better over time. Can this team compete for the Eastern Conference Championship? No. They're not going to compete for it this year. Can they get to an Eastern Conference Championship? Sure, they can, but it's going to be very, very, very hard because in the second round they're probably going to have to play a team like either uh, either the Miami Heat or the uh, or the Charlotte Hornets. Now, they're probably going to play Miami. They could beat Miami, but it's going to be very, very hard considering the team Miami now has with all the different parts, Goran Dragic, Luol Deng, Chris, uh, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. They're still a very, very good team in Miami, and so – with that, and obviously Joe Johnson, if you didn't watch Joe Johnson these last couple of weeks, I, I don't know what you're watching because Joe Johnson has resurrected his career in Miami, and this guy may lead the Miami Heat to a potential Eastern Conference Finals bid. And who knows, if, if, if he's playing the way he's playing and that team clicks, it could easily test Cleveland in a seven-game series 
to a very long now. Will they beat Cleveland? That's up for debate, but I think, I think Cleveland will beat them. But that would be a very good series if Miami plays the way they've played the last couple of, uh, couple of weeks with the way Joe Johnson's been playing. But I, but I don't think they're good enough to get to the Eastern Conference Finals for the Indiana Pacers. That is not going to happen this year. The Milwaukee Bucks were very, were very off this season. Can they utilize, could they utilize their size? They didn't. They just, they just didn't get it going this year. This was clearly an off year. I think last year was one of those years where they really played over their head a little bit. This was one of those years where we saw that Greg Monroe, the, the pickup of Greg Monroe did not work out. Andrew called it before the season. He said the Bucks would miss the postseason. I said he was crazy. It happened. I was so excited for this team in the offseason in 2015, and now they, just, now they just look like a team that still needs to get more pieces and fix it up or at least fix some chemistry problems. Obviously, guys like Jonathan Cooper played great this year. Guys like, uh, guys like Jabari Parker really showed up this season, obviously got hurt last year, but showed up this year and bounced back in a pretty good way. Not a great way, but a pretty good way to bounce back for him. Um, so we saw things like that. Will they take the step this season that, that where they could become legit? No, they did not take that step this season. What is in the future of this organization? Could they move? That's, that's a real question still. Could this team move to Las Vegas? Could this team move to Seattle if the Seattle thing goes through here in the next couple of days? Could they? I mean, that, that, that is up for debate. Maybe that could weigh on their minds this offseason depending upon what that circumstance revolves. That is a big circumstance there where they could potentially move, and if they're not playing well like they did this year, maybe it could be in the cards. So to have them move, that could have been on their mind. I'm not saying it was on their mind, but that could be on their mind going into the offseason. And could this team put pressure on a team? Or could, could this put pressure on the team to win now? Maybe it did. Maybe all these moves in the offseason put a lot of pressure on this organization to, to succeed now and to play well this season. I think it did. I think it may have played a part on that. And obviously, Jason Kidd being out for a long time as a coach, not being around, it just, it, a lot of things were off this year for the Milwaukee Bucks, and that might have been why they struggled so much. And the Detroit Pistons, the final team in this, uh, in this division, this team had, they had the toughness to go through. I mean, the eighth spot, was feasible. They got it. They got in. The goal this year was to win 40 games. They got 44. The caller before, as you heard, said maybe Detroit overachieved a little bit this season. Maybe they did, but they still have a young guy in Andre Drummond. Can he shoot better? Could he improve? He definitely improved this year. He got better. Are the Pistons fans more upset? Uh, you know that. You know, are, are they upset at the fact that they don't get the respect? in a really tough conference, in a really tough division. I mean, they got the eighth spot in a really, really, really hard division. And they went 10-6 and six in the Central. Think about that. Cleveland, you know, Chicago, Milwaukee, all teams last year that were in the postseason outside of them, and obviously Indiana, as I just mentioned, who's, getting, who's in the postseason now. 10-6, and six, a very good record where Cleveland went 8-8, eight and eight, Indiana went 8-8, eight and eight. Chicago also went 10-6, and six, which is very odd. But, but you see that, that ability that this team has. And, and the moves they made at the trade deadline, as we mentioned earlier, a team that has so much potential moving forward, I think in the next couple of years, two, three years, this team could potentially be an NBA Finals contender. What was your take on this division this year uh, in the Central there, uh, Jonathan? Uh, obviously, got to start with <laughs> Cleveland. But uh, like, like you said, Indiana, you know, they, they did a good job. You know, a 45-win team, you nailed it. That's a good prediction there. Um, uh, to me, the surprise of the division is Detroit. Uh, we were talking about them before, but uh, and what's uh, what what Van, uh, Van Gundy is, is Steve Van Gundy's uh, been able to do. 
uh, Stan Van Gundy, sorry, has been able to do there. Uh, yeah. Both, and like Tom Caller uh, said before, you know, that often doesn't work out. Like you said, the GM slash coach combination, um, uh, it almost never works out. And for him to have positioned the Pistons where they are right now, uh, that, that's a that's a good job. You know, not only make the playoffs, but to be a 44 win team and to have the pieces in place Very impressive. to 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 move forward. That they're they're in good shape. Uh, you know, there's been talk with Milwaukee uh, uh, if Kid was in trouble uh, there already. Sure. Uh, after after forcing his way there, uh, that's another example where uh, that type of combination uh, looked like it was working out, but but eventually took a step backwards here this year. But um, I think. Uh, well, Milwaukee just uh, had, had had just recently now, I think in the last day or two, had finally said, "Oh no, we're pledging our full support behind Jason Kidd." Yes. So that, yes. apparently, that's not a concern right now. But uh, he might be on some thin ice if he doesn't produce you know, pretty soon, though. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say Indiana and Detroit are the two surprises. Obviously, Chicago is a huge disappointment, and uh, Milwaukee's got to be yes. considered a disappointment too, because like you said, they were on a rise. Uh, it seemed like last year, and they've taken a step back now. And, and Chicago, a huge step back. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I guess management and Thibodeau didn't quite see eye to eye, um, which is, you know, probably a reason that the Knicks and, and, and Phil Jackson are hesitant to, to look at him, even though he's probably the best candidate out there. Uh, you know, that and the lack of uh, him want, uh, probably wanting to adhere to, to running the triangle and, and Phil Jackson being. Uh, seemingly so stubborn with uh, interviewing people that can only or will only be willing to run the triangle uh, mainly uh, is probably what's not going to get him there because there, there was a report earlier that, that uh, they, he would actually, early in the season, they said he would crawl to New York if he was offered the job as a former Knicks assistant for a long time there. Um, it would probably be an ideal fit. It's probably what the Knicks need, frankly, uh, in terms of toughness and defense, being defensive-minded and being more disciplined and that type of thing. But obviously that's not going to work out there, I don't think. But, uh, you know, it obviously just didn't work out with with, with Hoiberg and right. and even with a healthy Derrick Rose. So that's I, I think if you look at them in Houston, now Houston did make the playoffs. Uh, so you can't say they're – Maybe the biggest disappointment in the West, given their talent, to only be 500. But uh, I mean, the East, it's got to be Chicago with a close second, Washington, uh, which I guess we'll get to in the Southeast. But but yeah, I mean, basically, it's you know, it's an interesting division because Cleveland was what Cleveland, what, what you expected Cleveland to be, and then the other four teams, you got the two surprises in Indiana and Detroit, probably playing better than you expected, and the two disappointments, Chicago and Milwaukee playing worse than you expected. I think going in, you probably would have flip-flopped the two teams that are second and third and the two teams that are uh, fourth and fifth in that division, You know, not knowing exactly where they might be, but you probably would have pegged Indiana and Detroit to be somewhere fourth or fifth and Chicago and Milwaukee maybe to yes. be somewhere second and third. And obviously that's completely reversed. Uh, so that, that, was, that was probably pretty, after Cleveland, probably a pretty, pretty big surprise there in the rest of that division. Yeah, the division was very interesting this year from the standpoint of just, you know, the Bulls and the Milwaukee Bucks definitely taking steps back. I mean, as we mentioned there earlier, I mean, the Bulls definitely probably, in my opinion, the biggest disappointment in the NBA outside of the Wizards all year long in the, in the Houston Rockets. Uh, all year long, although the Rockets got into the postseason, so now we just see a rematch of the Western Conference Finals from a year ago in the first round. Yeah, the first round. So that's 
I don't, I don't think people. If you, I don't think people thought that last year, right? When you saw that in the Western Conference Finals, you saw right. Houston overachieving and reaching the Western Conference Finals when few people thought they would. Uh, if at that time you would have asked people, "Hey, what do you think about this same matchup in the first round next year?" People probably would have said, "What?" <laughs> you know, they would have certainly right. seen it from the Warriors' standpoint. I don't think many people would have expected that from the Rockets' standpoint. But here we are, same Absolutely. matchup, first round instead of the last round in the West. Go figure. In the Southeast Division, uh, I had a preview of the Atlanta Hawks. I only had one real question. Was the loss of Damari Carroll, uh, would it deter them from the playoffs? I thought this team would miss not miss the postseason this year, but definitely be like a bottom-seeded team. Not at all. This team still still held ground. Fourth seed in the, in the East, obviously, could have been a seventh, could have been a third, <clears throat> being a, one of those 448-win teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they still made the postseason. Uh, I, I talked about how you know potentially their window could be closing with some of their players. I think they're fine. I think they're going to be fine for the next couple of seasons with what they got. Um, and, and I asked how much better could this team get. Look, 60 wins last year we knew was way above their ceiling. It was their ceiling. Actually, it was their ceiling with 60 wins last year, uh, 48 wins this year, way more realistic. And they looked like the team that we all kind of thought they would be eventually going forward. So four, fourth in the, in the East, not a shocker there from what they did uh, going forward. And obviously coach of the year and Mike Budenholzer from last year uh, definitely kept them afloat this season with what they did. Um, another team also, uh, the, the Washington Wizards, as we just mentioned, look, obviously Randy Whitman just got fired. Uh, I think the Wizards did it the right way though, giving him four and a half seasons to really mature as a coach to try and see if he would work out. Clearly he didn't. Um, and they let him go for the right reasons, I think, because of what the, what's going on with this team. And I think it's the right time to let him go because the questions going forward, six of the six of these twelve te- these twelve guys on the team have contracts that expire this year. Bradley Beal, Nene, Jared Dudley, uh, Jared Dudley, Alan Anderson, Ramon Session, Gary. Neal. A lot of these guys are going to be gone next season, um, and this team is going to completely change. And obviously, the chance of getting Kevin Durant is still there. I don't think he's going to go there. Obviously, that was talked about in the off season. I don't think he's going to go there now. The, the pickup of Kelly Oubre Jr. in the draft, he was a good player, but still has a lot, a lot, a lot of growth to do from a mature standpoint and a talent standpoint. He's still so talented, but he's still got a lot to do growing up. Can the bench support the starting lineup? Clearly it didn't happen, but interestingly enough, Ramon Session had some very good games this year in, in spite of John Wall, you know, obviously not playing. He played a lot of games this year, but when he didn't play, Ramon Session stepped in and filled in quite nicely overall. Who will win the games close this year for them? Obviously, they had no Paul Pierce, and it was proven that they could not win games down the stretch during the season. They couldn't; they just couldn't do it. And loss of Paul Pierce may have been a bigger factor than we thought from the from the standpoint of closing ball games. That might have actually been a bigger threat than we thought. This team clearly one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest disappointments in the NBA at forty one and forty one. Another team in the in the division. Uh, the Orlando Magic, this team clearly just hit a wall. They were unbelievable in the first two months of the season, and then they just hit a wall, and they just could knock it out of their own way. Um, I mean, they, they had a little nice little spurt there at the end of the year, but for the most part, they really were just a, a two-month team, and then they fell off the map. Uh, but they have a lot – they have a really, really, really bright future going forward with what they have there. Can this team make a rise in the Southeast Division? They didn't. They, they, they definitely improved, but they, they did not. Uh, with so much talent, can Scott Skiles – hone in what he wanted to do this season. I think he did. I think he put together an identity. Like I just said, though, they hit a wall. If this team didn't hit the wall, I think they would have, they, they would have definitely won 40, 
uh, 40 games, maybe 43 games. They would have challenged the Bulls, Wizards, Detroit, Indiana for getting into the postseason, but I, I just think they hit a wall, and I think they hit it a little too late um, and a little too early in the season to go much further. The Charlotte Hornets, uh, a lot of these – this is a brand-new team coming into this season. This team had the talent coming in. I didn't think they'd put it together. They harnessed it. They got it done. That was one of my questions. Could they harness their talent? They did. They definitely did. Second half of the year, they put in one of the better runs of the year to come down the stretch, and they won 30 games at home. You talk about a team that's going to be tough playing at home, 30 wins, one of only three teams in the East to win 30 games at home. They are a tough team in the postseason going forward, and they're, they're a sixth seed. So if they win a couple on the road here and there, they're going to be a tough team to beat going down the stretch. Where will the ball go late in games? It went everywhere. It went to Jeremy Lin, it went to Nicholas Batum, it went to Kemba Walker, it went to Al Jefferson, mostly to Kemba Walker, but it went to everybody late in ballgames. And everyone seemed to play well uh, late, in the, late in the season. 48-34, and 34, at one point, they looked like a team that could have finished the season in the, in the top three spots in the East. They were playing well early on. I mean, can they create an identity quickly? I wouldn't say it was quick, but they definitely created one to allow themselves to be successful. And they're in the postseason because of it. Uh, this team, and I said it before the year, it reminds me a lot of last year's Atlanta Hawk team. They're going to reach a ceiling, and they're going to do really well, and they're going to do better than we all thought. They did. They did a lot better than we all thought. I don't think anyone thought this team had the chance of getting into the postseason. They had the roster to get into the postseason, but they didn't necessarily have the chemistry built. They built the chemistry. They improved. You've got to give the credit to a guy like, uh, like Steve Clifford, a guy who was outstanding with this team this year and getting them to the level that he got them to. Definitely impressive in that realm. And the Miami Heat, clearly a team back in the postseason. Eric Spolstra's eighth season as a head coach. Talk about a really, really, really fast eight seasons for Eric Spolstra as he got this team to the a third seed in the Eastern Conference. You can lock up another year for Eric Spolstra for next season. How will this team fare now that coming off the season they did last year and obviously the post-LeBron season? They just proved it. Third seed in the Eastern Conference, one of the four 48-win teams in the East. Clearly a team still ready to go. Will the old guards Work with the new guys. They did. They worked beautifully this year. Obviously, Amari Stoudemire came in, played a role. Uh, Chris Bosh definitely played well. Uh, Dwayne Wade definitely uh, – resurrection of Dwayne Wade, mind you. A one-year, $20 million contract. He definitely lived up to it for about three-fourths of the season. The final portion, he kind of rested and didn't play so well. But that first uh, 75% of the season, he played very, very well going forward. Justice Winslow, he was a role player. He wasn't necessarily a big-time player, but he was just kind of a role player this year. Wasn't going to win Rookie of the Year. I thought he'd be in the conversation, but nowhere near that as time went forward. Can this team make a run this season? What's their ceiling? I don't think this team has necessarily hit their ceiling. This team has a chance with the seed that they're in to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. If you're not, if you're, if you're not in that 2-3, if you're not in that 4-5, you won't play Cleveland in the second round. Miami could make their run to the Eastern Conference Finals this year, and I don't think it's that far of a stretch to say they could push Cleveland to six games. I think if they do that, they would have hit their ceiling, and they're at the point where we thought they would be. What's your thought on this on the Southeast Division and the Eastern Conference in general, uh, uh, Jonathan? Well, first, I mean, that, that's something I'm going to be rooting for because I, I think it would be fascinating to see LeBron go against Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that's something we'd all be interested to see if it happens. And I, I think it's something that definitely can happen if, if it ends up being um, Miami and, and Toronto in that second round. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about before, you know, how unlikely it was to have four teams uh, in the Eastern Conference that all had the same record. You don't you don't often see that. You usually see a little bit of separation, even if it's close, but to have three, four, five, six 
in the same conference, all the same record. Well, three of those four teams came from the Southeast, the top three in the Southeast. You know, the only other team that was uh, 48-34 was Boston. But, yeah, Miami, Atlanta, Charlotte, the top three, uh, all all solid at 48-34. Uh, you know, Atlanta, tough to figure out where they're at. If they're, they're, they're still, if they keep ascending, keep, you know, staying on the rise, like you said, it, it's impressive, you know, going back to Mike Woodson years where, where uh, he had them improving, you know, each year, I think in, in, I think it was five or six straight years when he was there before he came to the Knicks, he had them improve, you know, from a really bad team and improve a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And each year, he had them better than the year before by a little bit until they were, you know, consistently a playoff team uh, at the end, and and that kind of propelled him after he left to the point, like you said before, uh, nine straight years now in the postseason. So it's hard to figure out though, is, is this where they plateau? You know, at, at around high 40s, low 50s, and make the playoffs year after year, but don't kind of go deep in the playoffs that much. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to figure out. That's that's kind of the sense I get with the Hawks. You know, so it's great that they're solid team year after year and that they're making the playoffs but i don't get the sense that they're taking that next step beyond that that might you know that they, it might take a little bit for them to do you know kind of like toronto is doing you know they kind of look looking like you know at 56 wins you know franchise record this year we'll see how they do in the playoffs like you said they we have to see if 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 that backcourt which is fantastic uh with 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 the Rosen and and with with Kyle Lowry can can take them because that's that's where they're you know they're going to go as far as that backcourt takes them so we'll have to see how that plays out in the playoffs but uh I, you know they at least seem to be trying to take that next step uh with the 56 wins this year I'm not sure that Atlanta's there yet um they seem like they were headed there in recent years and now They've kind of maybe fallen back to the pack a little bit to the level of of like a Miami and Charlotte, you know, record-wise, even Boston now. So it, it's hard to figure out, you know, where they go from here. But uh, Miami's definitely they're they're a deep team, you know, they're a solid team. You know, like you said, the resurrection of, of Dwayne Wade played very well this year. Chris Bosh is still what still to still do what he's doing uh, now in his 13th year in the league. Uh, very very solid, you know. 19 points right a game right there along with Wade. Uh, Hassan Whiteside was was really the thing that that kind of gave them the toughness in the middle. Uh, sometimes over the edge with Hassan Whiteside, you know, with with some what some people thought was dirty play at times, but a lot of it was just good hard nosed basketball, good toughness, and you know, Pat Riley here in New York, you know, always loved that, you know, and uh, so I'm sure he loves it in Miami. And Drogic was obviously a big pickup, and then you know, just the little pieces that that helped round it out, you know, bringing in Luol Deng earlier on, and then bringing in Joe Johnson late in the season this year. Even Gerald Green is not, you know, not a bad uh, addition, and then. Uh, Mari Stoudemire off the bench, you know, um, um, and then Justice Justice Winslow. We'll see how his career pans out. But like you said, just kind of limited to being a role player this year. But there, all those teams, it's a good fit, and it's it, and it's a good chemistry, and it's a very deep team. They're a dangerous, dangerous team. Um, they're certainly, like you said, a team that could play in the Eastern Conference Finals. And if it is Miami against Cleveland, that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, and then you look at Charlotte. Um, obviously, their their team with with Kemba Walker uh, continually improving, and and Jeremy Lin had a had a real solid year for Charlotte. Uh, found it's you know good to see a guy that 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 believed in himself. 
so much. You know, we had the craziness with Linsanity here in New York, and it didn't pan out yeah. ultimately, and it didn't pan out with him in, in Houston. But but a guy that just kept believing in himself, and finally, you know, it's good to see him find a home and, and to 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 really have an impact on that Charlotte team this year between him and Kemmer Walker and 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 just the pieces that they've they've been able to put around and you know even a lot of people thought Lance Stevenson losing him was going to be a big loss for them but they survived that and and for them to get 48 wins and like you said uh you know I guess it's something I didn't even realize until you said it but but yeah I mean not many teams had won uh 30 would you say it was uh three teams in the in the Eastern Conference had won 30 teams Toronto, 30 games at home Cleveland, yeah Cleveland Toronto and and Charlotte, yes, that, that's pretty impressive. I mean, if if that team can steal a game at home, uh, I mean, on the road uh, in the in the first round, uh, I mean, Sneaky. they're going to be – and, we, you know, we're just talking about – it's funny because we're just talking about how deep Miami is and how solid they are, you know, you know, in their rotation and how far they can go, going possibly Eastern Conference Finals. We feel they're a pretty good bet to get there as a three-seed. But at the same at the same point, if if Charlotte playing them, it might just be the wrong matchup for Miami in the first round. I think they'll beat them. But Charlotte is good yeah. as they are at home. If they could steal a game in Miami on the road, you know they may not lose at home because of how solid they've been at home. So, you know, although Miami's obviously shown that they can play well on the road this year as well. You know, they they're decent twenty and twenty one at least. You know, that's what you like to be dominant at home and around yeah. five hundred on the road. So, you know, that, that's going to be an interesting series. I think you know the the two series probably to keep an eye on um, just from an intrigue standpoint. Uh, obviously, you know, Atlanta-Boston is going to be pretty interesting because, you know, we don't know what Boston's made of in the playoffs yet, really. We haven't really seen that yet, although they had a good regular season this year as a young team. Uh, but we talked about the Clippers in Portland in the West, but I think that, that Miami-Charlotte yeah. series in the East yes. in the first round is going to be a real interesting series to watch. So, uh, And then you said, you know, Washington obviously used disappointment. Orlando's going nowhere. Not really much to say about, about those teams. Uh, Orlando seemed like in recent years they kind of had it together and were trending in the right direction, but they they just can't get out of their own young. way this year. So they're young. They're young, and, you know, 35 wins is not a terrible place to be when you're young. Yeah. But uh, – you know they have a long way to go still, um, but you know obviously I, I you know I think uh, those teams you know in the southeast Miami and Charlotte and and the fact that they're playing each other uh, that's going to be going to be really something to keep an eye on really something interesting to watch I think in that, in that first round I'm looking forward to it. I agree with you. I think the Miami Charlotte uh, the Miami Charlotte is going to be the best first round series we have from the standpoint of just how both teams are so similar to one another. And you can make the case that Charlotte could be a three seed. Miami could be, a, you know, they are the three seed. And Atlanta Boston is very similar as well. And obviously both teams being the same. And I, I just think that this the, the, these middle teams in the East, when it comes to the playoffs, is going to be is some of the best basketball we're going to see from the standpoint of just weaknesses and and, and X's and O's and, and changes and obviously uh, adjustments. It's, it's going to be good stuff to watch there in the Eastern Conference in those middle teams because that's probably the most even you're going to see it. Obviously, the, the records say so too, but just from the X's and O's and how both teams, well, all these teams play in the middle portions of the East, they're all so similar in how they play. And, and, they, and they, have different, they have different ways of playing too. Charlotte can change things up. Miami's got a deep roster in what they do. It's incredible what's going to happen there in the middle portions of the Eastern Conference and overall. That's the Eastern Conference uh, questions that we answered. We have gone on this show for over 100 minutes now, and for those of you listening on the podcast, 
We're going to get out of here. Uh, we're going to come back tomorrow. First thing we're going to do when we come back tomorrow, it's going to be another 90-minute show. What we're going to do when we come back tomorrow, it's first thing we're going to do is we're going to answer the questions that we had before the season in the West, and we'll do that. And we'll also take your phone calls. And also what we're going to do then is we're going to give our, our, our playoff preview predictions and also give you the top ten white boys performances of the, of the year. And then we're also going to give you our playoff predictions on a Friday. Yes, it's going to be an insane show tomorrow. We had a lot today, over a 100-minute show. And uh, obviously we have been out of the live edition for about ten minutes now, and the show will cut us off here in about three minutes. Jonathan? Good talking to you, man. Hopefully you come on tomorrow. Uh, looks like Andrew's going through some family stuff right now. Prayers out to him. Obviously, he's going through some. He's going through some. He's going through some stuff in his life right now. But uh, we're here for him, and we're here for him. So, Jonathan, uh, we're out of here. I'll definitely talk to you tomorrow, buddy. Uh, have a good one. All right. All right, you too. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, no problem there. Again, episode one eighteen is in the books. Episode 119 tomorrow, Friday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on the Hoopers Log through the CLNS Radio and the CQC News. My name is Simo Bucket. And episode 119 tomorrow, same time, same place, on a Friday, the day before the postseason begins. We'll have our playoff predictions. We'll lay out the playoffs. We'll lay out what we have as our awards predictions. And we'll also give you the top ten performances of the year. And we'll give all answer all of our questions prior to the season on the Western Conference side, as you obviously just heard, the Eastern Conference side. Thank you again, everybody, for listening. Have a fantastic night. Enjoy yourselves. Take some rest. Breathe. The postseason is right around the corner, literally in two days. Thank you again for listening, everybody. Have a fantastic night.